This is Soundmaking, a podcast made by Hogan Stenner and myself, Matthew Shlomovitz. Each episode of Soundmaking features a composer or performer discussing the how and why of music they've created. For this episode, we had the pleasure of talking to New York-based percussionist and artistic director of the Ice Ensemble, Ross Carr. In 2019, Ross released a solo album called 10.67 Cycles on Bandcamp, featuring Pauline Oliveros' Applebox Double, written in 1965 for two amplified wooden apple boxes, as well as a premiere recording of Ashley Fury's Shiver Lung 2 for two prepared loudspeaker cones and electronic sounds, which we will hear an excerpt from at the end of the episode. Due to our self-imposed time restraints, we will not be able to play back the full track as well as listen to Ross's talk about it. But you will find this amazing album in its entirety at rosscar.bandcamp.com, nicely priced at four US dollars. So my name is Ross Carr. I'm a percussionist. Um, and I also am the artistic director of the International Contemporary Ensemble. I live in New York City, uh, specifically in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. I've been committed to you know, creating new works of experimental music um, and specifically on percussion and electronics, basically for my entire artistic life. Um, and so oddly, uh, the beginning of that artistic life is, um, is shared with Ash Fury. Uh, so Ash is a, was, went to the same high school as me in Michigan in the middle of the United States. And uh, also we went to the same undergraduate at Oberlin. Um, and then we, we went different paths. Uh, I went to, to California and she moved to, to the East Coast. Um, but we reconvened and met uh, again in about 2014. Um, I remember maybe Darmstadt was just wrapping up. And so we started a conversation about creating a new piece. We discovered together several sonic phenomena that we were both totally enamored with. Um, and one of those is uh, specific to Shiverlung 2, which is the second piece in a series where Shiverlung is the uh, septet. That's for five, uh, five instruments and two voices and electronics. And Shiverlung 2 is the solo piece um, for percussionist and two subwoofer speakers. And the phenomenon we discovered is that the subwoofer speakers, when you excite them at, uh, let's say, 8 hertz or 10 hertz, that they'll vibrate quite um, visibly, and they put out a lot of pressure, but they obviously aren't audible. They don't, they, you know, the, those are subsonic. So what that means is that they become a very reliable piston for activating percussion sounds. And so that started, let's say, in 2015, a really substantial research and experimentation phase of seeing what, when, when placed on top of these vibrating speakers, which are faced upwards, so that the cone is faced in the air. Uh, when we place different objects onto them and uh, skin and paper and allow things to sympathetically vibrate with just the air pressure and with direct contact, that these sounds are, uh, can be used in an expressive way. After we made this discovery of the, uh, of the speakers, which I'm sure other composers have discovered in other times, um, but uh, for us this was new and it was very exciting. So we, we went down this, this process of, of playing with for example, um, paper on in, in frames of cardboard that we could hold just above the speaker. So let's say five centimeters above the speaker and it vibrates sympathetically just with the air. 
And then similarly with um, with uh, beads, like uh, Mardi Gras beads, plastic beads, very cheap um, toys that we could drank, dangle kind of like a puppet tear, a marionette, just over the speakers, and they can they can rattle with a lot of control and expressive capabilities of the performer. And then tactile c- contact with skin and fingernails. Um, and this became the limited palette of Shiverlung 2. And then at the end of the piece, we discovered that you can ramp from subsonic to audible. It still will vibrate things on top. So moving from 10 hertz to 30 hertz, the audience starts to hear a tone. Uh, but we can also put we put the wind chimes on, the sort of like bar wind chimes at the end of the piece. And it's absolutely deafening. Uh, very, very intense, violent sound. And then as the piece was shaping up, we kind of built a structure for it, but we didn't notate it yet. She didn't notate it at that point. So instead we went into the studio, recorded the materials and assembled that with the sound engineer, Ryan Straber, into the 16-minute version that you can hear on the album, which is also the version that she, after that, notated into a beautiful score which you can get from her. So, And it's a very novel way of notating it. There's icons of how the hands are shaped. It's very explicit, but also gives a lot of agency to the performer. So so the, the electronics could be driven by a basic oscillator um, were it not for the ending, which is critical to the piece, which is just a, a single trigger of a max MSP patch that that ramps this, the slowly ramps from 10 hertz to, uh, and technically it's 10.67 hertz up to 30 hertz. Um, and that happens on a very specific time scale um, that's that's coded into the max patch. Uh, but yeah, ultimately, a lot of the experiments we were doing, we were just using a cell phone with an oscillator on it and dialing it down to 12 hertz to do tests. We only access like 5% of what we've discovered with the piece. And I think it's in that kind of, ref- what's the word, like the restraint of that piece is impressive because it could be a kid in the candy shop or me at a buffet where there's all you can eat macaroni and cheese. Um, it's like you could go all in, but in fact, it's quite restrained. Two elements that were really interesting that we didn't use in the piece, which might, might come into a later piece at some point. One is to take a microphone and put it directly on the speaker as it's vibrating and then feed that signal back into the speaker, of course, to create feedback, is absolutely mind-boggling. That's the most unexpected sound. To have the diaphragm bounce on the speaker while it's being fed back is um, is is like a demon. It's another dimension. Um, so I hope to see that in a piece down the road. Um, and and then also similarly, we we used the um, talk box system, like you know from Peter Frampton and, and friends, uh, and and fed the sound of um, of the speakers into the mouth of the performer, which was. Uh, also very like invasive and creepy and demonic. And so neither of those made it into the Shiverlung 2 piece at all, but they still exist as beautiful concepts. And so I think they might manifest in other, other places. I decided to make an album. It's the only album I've ever made for, as a solo percussionist. I don't know if I'll ever do it again. I, I, I liked the process, but I, I didn't find a ton of satisfaction in like <laughs> in in much of in much of it except for the recording process and and the design of the um of pairing these two pieces together and partly you know my my relationship to Pauline Oliveros was very very strong and um and she helped me to to discover a little bit about her piece Apple Box Double which was written in the 1960s almost at the same time as John Cage's Cartridge Music with David Tudor and 
Pauline Oliveros's relationship to David Tudor created the the collaborative element of that piece, Apple Box Double. So it's a very early percussion piece. But to me, it's also a percussion piece that that kind of liberates um, a different sensibility of percussion that might be more closely related to what we now call Foley art or something. You know, it's 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 like sound effects that have an expressive potential, but also dissociating our work from uh, what I hope will be um, like the next evolution of percussion. I hope we'll have a more consideration of the specific objects that we have used, uh, stolen, appropriated. Um, and this album uh, speaks to that, even in the, you know, the text that accompanies that I speak a little bit to that, that if we think of Barrio's circles as potentially the worst offender of this grab everything, take everything that you can approach to percussion, Pauline Oliveros was already offering another path in the 1960s. And uh, she wasn't alone, of course, but I, she's such a huge influence on me that that felt really amazing. And it's that same care and restraint for the origin of objects and what they ha- their meaning outside of their sonic potential that Ashley Ash Fury brings to her projects as well. Um, these this is this is how their connection is formed. But also, um, it's a percussion album without any hitting. I don't strike anything on the album. Uh, most of the Oliveros sounds are friction based and sympathetic vibrations. And then Shiverlung Two is a reverse percussion piece. If the normal paradigm might be. Xenakis and Stockhausen, where the percussion is the activator. Um, in this case, the in Shiverlung 2, you're really the stand. You're like the suspended symbol stand holding up the things. Uh, and then this machine is the one that uh, does the does the hitting. Um, yeah, there's some there's probably more narrative in that that I hope scholars and others will unpack about reversing that normal paradigm. For me, it just felt like a, a liberation of a sensibility that's about sound and not about the physical um, uh, athleticism and virtuosity that usually has to go into creating some of those sounds. Personally, it's the most genuine piece that I can think of making because it was so collaborative. It's definitely her piece. It's her sounds. This is like her expression, and I am happy to assist, you know, as a collaborator. Um, but the the uh, the process itself was... It just made me feel like that's that's how we can make pieces forever. It's like create that kind of thing. 